Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. Listen up. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host Lance Sanderson. Joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague, Mile High Huddle senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, man, I'm stumbling over my words, but dude, I'm excited for this week. This next week coming up, uh, obviously the NFL scouting combine is coming up in Indianapolis. Everybody, you know, all of the top prospects are going to be there, even despite, you know, the the boycott that was rumored earlier this week and then later shut down after the NIC decided to, you know, we'll, we'll lift all of the, the COVID restrictions, lift the bubble, let everybody kind of do their own thing at their own risk and stuff like that. Uh, very interesting to see how this is all going to play out. I'm not sure if there's going to be people that, you know, you know, still kind of boycott the workouts and just kind of do the medical checks and interviews and stuff like that. But still very interested to see how this is all going to play out, dude. What's up? Not much. Just excited for the combine. I mean, it's always it's always good to get some. You know, we talk about great athletes. We talk about um, great bursts and stuff like that. It's it's nice to get some numbers to it to add to it without having you know all the um, other data that you can get in the NFL and stuff like that. All the tracking data and like it, it's it's just an awesome time. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, it's where you start to hear a lot of information going around. Uh, just people throwing things out it's where things start getting done with free agents um possibly you know certain veteran quarterbacks you start your this year especially probably get some um insight as to which way we could uh what what could happen there insight which way broncos could be going but uh, it's always a great time of year and then free agency is not long to follow and i mean really this is draft season i don't care about free agency it's the best time of the year so i'm excited i'm excited for what's coming yeah likewise honestly this is where a lot of the information starts to come out um like uh where teams are looking you know the the prospects that they've interviewed um some more inside information might come out you never know what kind of crazy videos of crazy questions that get answered i mean think back to trey adams the dude from washington so- and the uh the, the off the wall question and the way that he answered it was uh it was how that video went viral and leaked out was just insane but like this is where you're well, gonna see you know okay. like, uh, you you can't ahead. talk about the combine in videos without talking about chris jones running the 40 <laughs> that is yeah. probably the funniest video to come out of the come out of the combine but you got to feel for him a little bit because that's got to be a little bit embarrassing yeah like but yeah that's probably one of the best videos to come out of the combine 
But I mean, what he, he fell over the first time, like rolled over himself. And then you just could tell that he's not a, a long mover, a long strider like that. He's definitely not a track star. So it, it's interesting to see it, you know, but going back to your original point, like it's, it's so much fun to see some of these like smaller school guys, uh, the, the wider receiver out of North Dakota state. And for some reason, his name is escaping me right now. Um, how fast is he? Like, it seems like he has some good long speed. Um, Calvin Austin, the third from Memphis, like that's a, another smaller school guy, uh, a small kid, you know, five seven, one seventy. Like, what's he gonna, you know, measure out and weigh? How is he gonna move with, with the added weight if he does go to in that direction? And then, honestly, getting into the quarterback conversation and Kenny Pickett, who did not get his hands measured at the at the Senior Bowl. Like, you don't get to dodge that measurement at the combine. Like, every single you have to participate if you're gonna do it. You have to participate in all of the measurements, all of the the medical interviews, all of the interviews off of inside. Um, you can forego throwing and stuff like that. Uh, maybe you don't want to run the the the, the forty time because uh, you, you've got a hamstring injury or just whatever. I mean, you can kind of elude some things, but the measurements that's a, a complete and total. You have to participate in that. So it'll be interesting to see where Kenny Pickett's hands come in. But I mean, it's it's so interesting to see. Like you've got an idea about a player. Like for me, I've been watching Max Mitchell, the the right tackle from Louisiana earlier today and he moves really well he's a big guy six five probably 315 something like that really long arms and he moves pretty well I want to see how he moves out in space in a way that you can actually time it and then judge it against players you know at, at that same kind of a level you know so using the combine using those measurements using those numbers is a way to you know kind of validify some of your tape and if you see something within the numbers that you didn't see on tape then that's when you go back and recheck everything so this is a really fun time in the scouting world yeah, and one of the biggest things is knowing how to use the different numbers for it. I mean, not every player, you're you're not looking at the full 40 for every single player. Right. I mean, edges, what's that 10-yard split? Defensive lineman, 10-yard split. Offensive lineman, 10-yard split. Looking at um, just all these different things, agility drills, the three-cone, the, yeah. the uh, and all that stuff. Like, it's just how you apply it. How much leg strength they have, you get that information. Um with uh, the long jump and broad jump, you get that kind of, you just get all this extra information that can back up your analysis from watching tape. Like, oh, this guy's got great burst. Well, now he goes and runs a terrible 10 yard split both times he runs the 40. Well, maybe it's just a situation where he does, he, in that, in that, uh, the combine thing, something's off. I mean, out of that stance, maybe the slight build up. like there's all these different plays, things into it. And it's just a matter of how you use the numbers. You shouldn't be walking away with the combine with like, oh, this guy's a fourth round pick entering the combine. Now, now he's a first round pick. Right. You shouldn't be walking away with with thought, thoughts like that. It should be okay. This guy had him as like a middle fourth. Now maybe maybe late third because of this reason from the combine. But uh, honestly, the biggest reason for the combine is the medicals and the interviews. Those are the two of the biggest factors. And those are when you see somebody plummet in the draft. It often relates to one of those two reasons. Um, there was a Chris Polk, I think was his name. He ended up undrafted free agent to Philadelphia. Everybody was talking about him as a second round pick and he went undrafted. Um, oh, what was his name? Bowers, a Clemson defensive end. Yeah. Daquan um, Bowers. Daquan Bowers, um, was top 10 pick. I mean, I remember that year. That was the guy I wanted Denver to draft and come to find out he's got the, this major concern with his knee. And here he is now a second round pick and you sit there and that's where the big stuff comes from. Um, another big one is Ruben Foster. I mean, he got in a yep. fight with the medical staff at the combine. Yep. 
over over things. And there you go. That's some of the attitude aspects of it. So not exactly just the the um the on field stuff. It's everything to it. And honestly, medicals and co- and interviews are the bigger aspect of the combine. It's yeah, just absolutely. NFL can't make money off of that like they can the on field drills. That's that's very true. Um, and also that's where a lot of inside information, insider trading and stuff like that comes. Obviously we talked about the, you know, free agency contracts and stuff like that. Like there's, there's so much more that goes into that. We'll get into that even in more in depth here in just a few minutes, but guys, we got to say hello to everybody in the chat. We got Rodney Garcia with a quick question uh, on Facebook evening guys, just here to show some love to you guys and to Broncos country. What's up, Rodney? Thank you for that. Uh, Lawrence Rivera as well. This is the first draft where some kid isn't hyped up that I'm actually excited they usually are the biggest bust when built up to be something that they are not. And there's some, there's some validity to that statement. Like quite honestly, this draft, while there it's not super top heavy, there's a lot of good depth, but there's not really one or two guys to be incredibly excited for, especially outside of the top 10. And even inside the top 10, there's a couple of question marks going in there. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here. Good evening, Lance, Eric, and Broncos country. I don't feel all excited about the quarterback class unless Denver goes and gets one in the second or the third round. My view, they should focus on the offensive line, linebacker, specifically edge rusher, and uh, the defensive backs in this cornerback class is actually pretty lit, to tell you the truth. Uh, We got Jelly jumping in here with a $1.99 super chat. Uh, Thoughts on Caleb Ellaby? Uh, Could he be like Davis Mills? Eric, what do you think on uh, Caleb Ellaby really quick? I like Caleb, Caleb LB. I mean, he's not doesn't have the strongest of arms. He's a better mover, very different in terms of style from Davis Mills. But he he's smart. He can he could probably hack it and hack its offense a little bit if you have if you have to go that way. Not ideal by any means, but uh, he can go out there and you know it's not necessarily a safe option, but it's a it's an option that you're really just looking at running what your offense is ma- made to do not looking for like super big plays all the time. Um, but yeah, he could be effective in the offense. I wouldn't really trust him in any other style of offense and Hackett's, but I mean, he's solid. I like Caleb Ellaby quite a bit. I like him better than Bailey Zappi. Yeah. The more I've got to watch uh, Caleb Ellaby, I like the the arm talent. There's, there's plenty to work with there. Um, not the, the best mover and doesn't really maneuver the pocket, but you got to look at a lot of what they were asking him to do at Western Michigan. Uh, a lot of it's RPO one read, you know, just get the ball out. You're going to throw a slant here wait for the, you know, uh, look this way and then come back over to the deep over stuff like that. Like there's not a whole lot of NFL concepts with him, but the tools are there and it's something that you can really work with, especially if you get a, a solid veteran. So Caleb Ellaby, um, Eric and I were talking a little bit, um, potentially uh, fourth round, the early day three, um, maybe even tail end of like the third round with Caleb Ellaby. So keep your eyes on that. I know Benjamin Albright has been kind of hinting at him on Broncos country tonight a lot as well. And also on Twitter. So uh, that's a guy to watch out for, for the Broncos. Uh, Some more people jumping into the the chat as well. We've got what 92 sets of eyes, Peter Middleton joining us from Cambodia. Like he usually does every single Friday. Uh, it's a strange time when we're hoping to lose our first round pick. It's hard to get excited about prospects when I secretly hope that we can't get them. I've been concentrating on a lot of the second round prospects instead. Uh, and that's a pretty decent line of thinking. Eric and I are kind of in lockstep on this one. Uh, whether they trade for Aaron Rodgers or what Russell Wilson or not, doesn't seem like the Broncos are taking a selection at number nine. What do you think, Eric? I mean, as with everything with the draft, it depends on how the board falls. Um, and, I mean, with how things are anymore, you have to you have to give that, you know, say that every single time. It's just not given it, just not a given anymore. D- 
depending on how the board falls, the Bronc, I don't think the Broncos are picking at number nine. Maybe somebody falls to them. I know somebody else asked about Kayvon um, Thibodeau. I'm not sure Denver is looking his way. Um, Daniel Jeremiah and uh, Bucky Brooks really went off about about uh, some off-field stuff there, um, and it's something that's kind of being mentioned through by other people as well. A lot of off-field stuff. That's why he's sliding. Um, Daniel Jeremiah said that he's not really in conversation for number one or number two edge. He's more in the conversation of number three, number four with Trayvon Walker, which I understand. I don't, and I don't think that Denver will look his way. If you're looking for high character people, there's just enough concerns. And this is where the combine interviews come in. They'll get a chance to meet with them if they want to. And uh, I know that there's some issues with him is that he had a couple interviews and he, 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 I mean, he flat out lied in those interviews about things that happened um, public interviews, by the way, and just different things, talking down other people when it wasn't really needed and just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and injury stuff. So all depends on how the board falls, but I, with how this draft is with the value of, with the, the tiers of prospects, I just, I don't see it. I don't think that it's worth picking at nine for a guy that you can get somebody similar 10 picks later. It's so hard with Kayvon Thibodeau because the, the talent's definitely there. You, you can see he might be a little thin. It definitely needs to add some strength for the most part. But the athleticism, the burst, the explosiveness, uh, the ability to, to to get after the passer, like uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is, is one of those guys. And I was listening to the Draft Dudes podcast with Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs earlier today. And one of their things is draft good players. And Kayvon Thibodeau, despite all of the off-field concerns, is a good player. So yeah, He nine, really showed it to Ohio State if you ask him. Yeah, exactly. He never even played against them. <laughs> yes, it's it, it, there's there's concerns for sure. But if you can get a good player, you get the best player. And if Kayvon Thibodeau is there, you definitely got to take a look at that. Um, Scott Sunderman jumping in here. Uh, first time live watcher. Love you guys. Uh, definitely do a great job. And Scott, thank you for joining us on your first live show. And I'm, I'm glad you could join in on something that what we do best, like quite honestly, we obviously what we do best is cover the Broncos, but with Eric being the senior NFL draft analyst, if you want to find out anything about the top, what 500 players in the draft, talk to Eric. And I'm glad that you're here for the first time. So thank you. Um, and what I mean, cave on Thibodeau. I mean, he's a good player. Like he's, he's fine as a prospect and there's certain things off the field. I can put up with going on an interview and saying that you dominated a team that you were injured against and didn't play is pushing the mark. Like that, that's not a thing of like misremembering something. That's just flat out lying. And that's not something that sits well with me. And uh, I think it was, I can't remember what show it was. I think it might've been a little interview with Rich Eisen, I think. But yeah, he came out and he said that this year he dominated Ohio State and didn't even play in that game. Yeah. All right, last couple of uh, hellos here. We've got Deshaun Baruby as well. Mike Woodward, uh, Rodney Garcia throws some stars. Uh, thanks, Rodney, for that. Uh, Silver Yoshi, that's a new name, and welcome into the Dove LA Deep Divers podcast. Uh, Kayleon Green over on Facebook saying that I, I believe that he uh, met Matt Corral, and he says that he's pretty cool, which that, that's an interesting guy for sure. Wow. Uh, Kenny Booker as well joining in here tonight. Uh, Robert Smith. We've got Jason Peters over on YouTube. Uh, thank you all for joining us on the Dub Alley Deep Divers podcast. We're going to run through some quick matters of business really fast. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH. 
and for Eric at Eric Trickle. And also for Scott Kennedy, running the ones and twos behind the glass down here uh, at Scout Kennedy. Also, guys, while you are, are at it, follow at DVDD underscore pod. That's the podcast account. We're going to find out what we're talking about every single Friday. Also, guys, at Mile High Huddle. That's the mother account where you're going to find instant breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos, opinion articles, film breakdowns, our premium draft content, which is coming hot and heavy over the next couple of months. Um, Anything regarding your Denver Broncos, that's where you guys are going to find it. And if you guys are on Facebook, make sure you guys go to facebook.com slash mile high huddle. Click that blue become a supporter button and uh, you'll get some premium content like the trickle zone. You'll get Kelberman's Corner and Broncos Book Club with Chad Jensen. And also, guys, I'm going to tease this because I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go. I've got a premium guest lined up and you guys are definitely going to want to check in on this. Working out the finite details here. It's probably going to be a recorded show loaded up on Facebook, loaded up on YouTube, but you are not going to want to miss the guy that I have hopefully here shortly after the combine. So make sure you guys are paying attention to at Mile High Huddle for any breaking news regarding that and also for myself at uh, Sanderson MHH. Now, so Eric, I want to... We're talking about the combine here, and obviously uh, there's a big question mark about the quarterback position. Um, a guy that was not at the Senior Bowl and potentially has the the opportunity to really kind of cement himself as a, a first-round pick and potentially as the top quarterback in the NFL draft is a guy we just talked about um, with uh, with Kayleon over on Facebook saying that he met Matt Corral. This kid is incredibly talented. There's a lot of arm talent to work with, uh, great mobility. He likes to take off a little bit early and run too much, but he wasn't at the senior bowl. So he didn't get to go and compete against guys like Desmond Ritter, guys like, you know, um, Malik Willis or Sam Howell, um, or even Bailey Zappi, you know, and, and showcase his talents there. Uh, obviously, with not being there, this is the first time that NFL scouts are really going to kind of get his, their hands on him for the most part in a, a like a confined area, uh, maybe get some interviews and stuff like that. There are some questionable character concerns with him, but Matt Corral, dude, what do you think of him? I mean, I like him. I want to get the off-field, and this kind of leads to a couple comments that I wanted to address here. Somebody made a comment about Micah Parsons. Well, not to get into all the details there, I mean – there's some moral issues there with drafting Micah Parsons that you had to overlook if you wanted him. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just not, I'm just glad Denver didn't go that way. I'm glad he wasn't on their board for those reasons. Um, and somebody else said, you have to have some attitude. You do like, you do need attitude on the team. You just have to find the right kind of attitude. Yeah. You can't have these guys that are problems. And this is where it kind of relates back to, to Matt Corral. And that this is, is, is he going to be that have that attitude that's a bit of a problem? There's been concerns coming out in high school. He there was a situation with Wayne Gretzky's son because they went to the same school, and a whole bunch of issues came out of there. What the what's going around is that Matt Corral started a fight and a whole bunch of stuff. Try not to get into a lot of details there because it's all kind of muddy. Um, so issues there getting into a fight with um, Wayne Gretzky's son. There was a couple issues in college, and I think Dane Brugler is one who's spoken about this quite a bit. And so it's like, you want attitude, and I'm just not sure that Kayvon Thibodeau's, Matt Cross, I'm not sure their attitude's the, the right kind of attitude that you want. Garrett Bowles has an attitude, and that's the kind of attitude that you want. Um, Akib Tlaib's attitude was kind of the attitude that you want. So as good as, as much as I like Matt Corral on the field, it's just without being able to sit down and interview him and see where he is at on that scale, it's kind of hard for me 
that'd be whoever's going to, whoever's interested in him. They're going to have to balance that out. They're going to have to ask these questions in there to get clarity, which is why, I mean, I have an article up talking about, I believe it's the top eight quarterbacks, um, the top six with Caleb Ellaby and, ba and Bailey Zappi and what they need to do at the combine and interviews was the big one. Interviews and medicals were the big ones for Matt Corral because he suffered that injury in the bowl game. Yeah. And you just got, you just got, you got to know if there's any going to be any lingering concerns or issues coming from that. Right. I, I believe it was a high ankle sprain. He suffered it early in the game and it was really unfortunate because he actually took that risk. And that's something that I value. I, I mean, I understand a guy, you know, I'm not going to go like, look at how many times we've seen, you know, like, like Nick Chubb, it wasn't in a bowl game, but uh, for example, a, a Broncos related one, Jake, Butt, the tight end from Michigan, he suffered a, a nasty knee injury tore his ACL and MCL in the Fiesta bowl. And it ended up dropping him from a potential first round pick all the way into the fifth round, just because that's a major injury at the latest stage that you could potentially even have that injury and there was so many concerns with him not you know healing correctly and not being able to start at the, at the beginning of the season then come to find out there was actually some uh, degenerative bone disease in there as well. Um, he had uh, a, a higher tibial plateau so uh, on the outside, so it actually created more of a shearing motion. Like Jake Butt, the, the story, go Google it. There's so much that goes into that. But like for Matt Corral to come out and say, I'm one of the best quarterback prospects. I'm a team player. I want to go out and perform at the highest level against the highest competition and go and show my skills. He ends up getting hurt and that drops him down. Fortunately, it didn't seem like it was anything too serious, but at the same time, he does that have that injury concern. So the medical checks is going to be a big thing with him. Another thing that goes in within Matt Corral is what did he do at uh, Old Miss that actually translates to the NFL? He gets a lot of a bad rap for the RPO stuff that they ran with Lane Kiffin and stuff like that, but there still are a lot of concepts that do actually translate. He did a lot of really good stuff dropping back even out of the shotgun where he could actually scan and survey the field even though it was single field reads, he actually does a really good job of climbing the pocket, double clutching the football just a little bit, waiting for guys to get open into open windows and then delivering the ball on time with accuracy and precision. So there's a lot of tools to work with him, but how does that translate? That Ole Miss offense doesn't translate to the NFL very well. So you're going to have to see what he does in interviews, describing the concepts of what he's looking at, understanding what's going on on the whiteboard, and then being able to understand how that translates to the NFL level. Carson Strong hmm. actually had this issue back at the senior bowl where he understood his offense very very well but he didn't understand what they were actually designed to do like he didn't understand the concepts he memorized the the play sheets and stuff like that knew where he's supposed to go with the football but he couldn't describe how that was actually supposed to work so that actually dropped his draft stock from potential high second round to maybe even to the third round especially with his knee concerns like this is a big deal for these quarterbacks to sit down with these with these teams with these medical staffs and get an opportunity to ex explain and describe themselves to all these teams looking to draft them highly. Yeah, and I mean, you touched on a good point with the offense that that Ole Miss ran with Matt Corral. And the thing is, is like that'll get talked about a lot. That's a concern that has to be answered in interviews. But it's not like we can't, we haven't seen quarterbacks go from an offense that doesn't really translate to the NFL and right. go into the NFL and tear up. It's possible. Um, it's you just have to show that you can handle those concepts, that you can understand those concepts in meeting rooms, in the interviews, and show it out on the field too when that time comes. So Matt Corral, I mean, even though he doesn't have from this, and this is that's that's one of my big concerns with him. Like, not gonna lie, is that offense doesn't really translate to the NFL. Doesn't ask him to make a lot of reads, but he can still go and show he does it. This is a big. This is the big reason why being able to interview him at this at the combine is such a big deal. Is 
being able to answer those questions that you haven't had a chance to answer before. Whereas with Carson Strong, as you mentioned, is he went and answered that maybe he can't understand those concepts yep. and recite those concepts back. I mean, Jordan Palmer, his quarter, his um, offseason coach right now, had an interview with the draft dudes, and um, one of the things that he talked that he talked about was, and this this kind of caught concerned me a little bit. Was he started talking about Carson Strong and being a bit of a goofball? And anytime that term gets thrown out with a quarterback, I'm immediately concerned. You can call that Paxton Lynch syndrome or whatever, man. Like it, it's rough when you hear that. Yeah. And but he but Jordan Palmer kept talking about how he still pays attention in meetings. He can still recite things back to you. Well, at the senior bowl, he wasn't able to. He could just tell you what Nevada did, and that was it. Anything outside of what Nevada did. It's uh-uh, like he just didn't get it. It really hurt his stock. Um, so, I mean, it's every quarterback. You want that from Malik Willis. You want to answer. Kenny Pickett probably has the easiest chance or easiest job in doing that. Yep. So you want to answer all those questions here. And among many other things with the quarterbacks, I mean, Carson Strong, he's got medicals with his knee. That's a concern. People are going to have plenty of questions about Malik Willis, who probably has the highest upside. Yep. Like It's just not a good year for quarterbacks. There's no – like. For lack of a better way to put it, there's no surefire prospect at the quarterback position this year. Yeah, and going to Malik Willis, I mean, the, the tools are there. And Eric, you and I talked about this last week, I believe. Um, the, the tools with Malik Willis, he has the arm strength. He has uh, the, the the footwork is a little bit sketchy at times, but when he is on platform, he throws the ball pretty, pretty well, um, displays some touch at times. Obviously, the athleticism is insane there. But Matt Corral, while he may not have, you know, the, the – the, the arm strength and the arm talent that Malik Willis does have uh, Matt Corral has a more accurate, better base to throw off of and works within structure a little bit, a little bit better than Malik Willis, but there's so many different concerns between them. Which one would you actually rather have? Is it Malik Willis with all the tools and just the raw athletic potential and the high upside or the guy like Matt Corral, who in my opinion has uh, a, a much solid, a much better floor to work with. Like there's a, a lot wider variance between Malik Willis and Matt Corral like there's there's a, a significant conversation and if you're looking at either one of those guys especially for the Broncos say they do stay at number nine overall is that like is that the conversation that they have to have is it Malik Willis with all the tools in the upside or is it Matt Corral with the better floor like there's it's it's crazy and this is where you start to figure out where teams are going to start looking so with that, we got to move on here just really quick. Peter Middleton jumping in here. Uh, tackle is a first round uh, for sure. Sounds nice uh, to protect the Broncos quarterback, especially if it's the plan C or D quarterback need to protect the quarterback and give him a chance to make plays. Now speaking regarding uh, it, like in regards to uh, the NFL combine, Obviously, you've got Evan Neal. You're you're going to get Ike Aquanu. You're going to see Charles Cross, uh, Trevor Penning. Now, does does Denver go tackle inside the top ten, or even if they trade out of the top ten, where could they potentially be looking? Eric, what do you think on that uh, tackle for sure? Well, Peter, I have an article that's waiting to be published that's talking about Plan B, C, and even D um, for the Broncos for quarterback position. You know, Plan A is obviously Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. So keep an eye out for that. It's all finished. It's just waiting for Chad to go over it and publish it. Um, as for where they're going, is I mean, tackle and edge. That seems to be the two positions you're going to be looking at. But we know George Payton loves corner, so maybe it's corner. Maybe he decides to make the secondary a little bit more saucy. Um, hey, hey. Whatever the case may be, Ike, um, they have options. They have plenty of ways they can go. Free agency is going to provide some more insight on it. 
but I really, I, I, from conversations I've had from how things that I've heard from listening to multiple podcasts to people even more than know than I am edge tackle seems to be it. I'd probably put the edge on Ed or put the, um, ball. I, I put it more likely to be edge than tackle at the moment, but tackles right. Not far behind. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard because we just are so unsure about what's going to happen with, uh, with the Broncos at, at number nine overall. And like I said earlier, I don't think that the Broncos are going to be making a selection at number nine. I think they're going to be looking to move back or potentially obviously, uh, trade Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, something like that. Nine overall is probably out of the question. Um, now, that doesn't take away the, the 40th overall pick or the 64th overall pick. One of those two, Denver is probably still going to hold on to. The second round actually has a, a couple of pretty decent players at the tackle position, one that I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier in Max Mitchell from Louisiana. I was watching him earlier today. I watched the Texas game. I watched the Iowa State game, another game that he played where he dominated at the lower level of competition. But that's probably the biggest concern that you have with a guy like that. Um it's also another thing that goes into it is I think Max Mitchell is, is purely right tackle only at the NFL. He played better at right tackle than he did at left tackle in Louisiana, but, and also the lower level of competition. But when he did play against Texas, he held his own. He moves really well. Um, there's some strength concerns for sure, but Max Mitchell at 64, I'm not against that at all. Like I, there's, there's a lot to like about this guy. He's long, he's tall, decent athlete he moves well in space you can see that um he has great hand technique at times there's there's times where he gets out in front um has a great impact at the at the point of attack doesn't really have the strength to kind of mold like mow guys down at the second level but he moves in well enough to get out there in this heavy zone scheme that the broncos are going to be employing this season max mitchell is a, is a guy that i'm really keeping my eyes on yeah, and Scott Sunderman came out with a four dollar ninety nine donation saying, "Does does Pickett's arm strength worry anyone else at the NFL level?" Yes, not just the arm strength; the hand size worries me. Um, I don't care about the double jointed thumb. I'm not buying that aspect of it. Um, I know people who have double jointed thumbs, and it doesn't help them grip a football whatsoever. Uh, so I, I'm not buying that that aspect of it. I'm con- <clears throat> I'm concerned about the hand size. I'm concerned about how he looked in bad weather because of it. And I'm concerned about the 5 billion fumbles he had during his yep. co- collegiate career. Uh, I'm very concerned about Pickett and Pickett in uh, at the NFL level for multiple reasons. The arm strength is one of them. The athleticism is nice. The, the decision-making um, this is something I, I alluded to on my um, Twitter account the other day at Sanderson MHH, go check it out. Uh, decision-making doesn't start when you throw the football. It starts when you break the huddle, okay? So identifying what is going on within the box, uh, identifying, uh, understanding, you know, where your your guys are supposed to be at, understanding the play design, what you're supposed to be doing within that, understanding what the defense is weak at, where you're supposed to exploit the defense, um, and then understanding when to check off, where to get rid of the football, identifying blitz, the blitz packages and stuff like that. That all goes into your decision-making at the quarterback level. And Kenny Pickett has seemingly decent decision-making at that particular point. However, and I go back to it every single time, the bowl game that he was in where he was running down the field and did the fake slide, that to me signals a guy that just has reckless abandon for his body at the NFL level because if I'm an NFL safety or an NFL linebacker and I see something like that happen, the next time that I see him in open field and he is running the football, I'm taking his head off. 
Like you don't get to fake slide and and take advantage of the rules like that without suffering consequences. And that to me is a big, big red flag for me with, with Kenny Pickett, the, the hand size for sure, the fumbles, um, obviously the accuracy concerns that you have in bad weather that he played with uh, up in, in Pittsburgh, there was a snow game, I believe it was against Wake Forest. They played a, a snow game in Pittsburgh. Um, his accuracy was all over the place. His decision-making kind of faltered as well. Um, the fumbling issues that he's, that he's had for the, the majority of his college career, um, while I like Kenny Pickett as far as a guy that can step in day one and, and potentially contribute as a starter, sure. I'm just there's there's so many more issues that make me lean that he's not a long term starter in the NFL that I'm gonna kind of avoid him. And he doesn't have the best tools either. The arm strength, um, the mobility is there, but there there's just the tools that he does possess aren't elite like some of the other guys. Like like even Desmond Ritter has a, a stronger arm um, and while the accuracy is not there, his mobility is better. Like Carson strong has a much stronger arm than Kenny Pickett. Like if, if I'm grading these guys on equal footing, as far as their tools go, Kenny Pickett's like quarterback five, like quite honestly, his tools are not that great to begin with. So it missed me with the Kenny Pickett hype for sure. There's a reason why he's called Kenny two gloves. It's a playoff of yes. Teddy. It's a playoff of Teddy Bridgewater. Yes. Teddy two gloves. Like there's a reason for it. Kenny Pickett's very similar to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I don't view him that highly, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kenny Pickett's one of the first two quarterbacks drafted. Looking at number six for Carolina, which would be hilarious if they bite that bullet. Right, no doubt. But there's been a lot linking them to, to Kenny Pickett, so I'm to keep an eye on. There's been a lot linking Pickett to Pittsburgh as well. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like he's, like he's going to be a top-ten pick. But it's – just is he really worth it? Like in a normal class, no. In this class, no. Like okay. th- for me, there's no quarterback that's in the top th- top thirty prospects, and he's okay. just going to get this huge boost because he plays quarterback. Kenny Pickett is, and this is hyperbolic as all hell, guys. So please bear with me on this one. Kenny Pickett is Christian Ponder 2.0. Like, there's not a lot of tools to work with. It's just not a great prospect to begin with, and he's going to get overdrafted because he's a quarterback. So. Uh, it, like I said, hyper hyperbole for sure. There's a lot to like about Kenny Pickett more than there more so than there was with uh, with Christian Ponder, but that's where I'm going to equate that to. All right, let's see. Let's run to the chat really fast. See if we can grab some of these comments really fast. Uh, Mike Woodward jumping in here. Carson Strong in the third or fourth, Eric? Not for Denver, no. I I don't think so either. Um, the the combine medical rechecks are going to be interesting with his knee um, and also with the. Uh, um, the, the whiteboard interviews that he had at the senior bowl. Um, some teams are going to fall in love with him as far as the arm talent goes, but there's just not a lot to work with in, in today's NFL. You need to have mobility. He maneuvers the pocket really well. And that's, that's another discussion we need to have here. Uh, mobility versus maneuverability. There's, there's two completely different things here. Understanding how to maneuver your way within the pocket as compared to escape the pocket, create plays and then run with the football. Think of it like this, and this is a a harsh dichotomy here. Lamar Jackson versus Tom Brady. Lamar Jackson understands how to use his athleticism and escape the pocket and create plays with his legs. Tom Brady understands how to maneuver within the pocket to create throwing windows to make himself successful. Carson Strong is a guy that doesn't have Lamar Jackson-like athleticism or mobility, but he has the ability, the maneuverability to be an effective guy, more like a a Ben Roethlisberger than a Tom Brady, but that's kind of the direction you're looking at there. So Carson Strong, 
in today's NFL, you could potentially work with him, but you're limited like specifically to a scheme that fits with him. Um, not a whole lot of play action. It's like, like a lot of straight drop passing. Let him use his arm strength, his arm talent, and his decision-making to, to guide the football that way. But you're not asking him to work outside of the structure of the offense. So you're take gonna that for what's an worth. outstanding offensive line. Yes. Carson Strong. Yes, absolutely. Um, because when things start going south and he's going to have to get out of the pocket, he's just not good at it. He can yep. maneuver the pocket fine. I mean, it, there's there's quite a bit there that's very reminiscent of Joe Flacco. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not talking about when Joe Flacco was with the Broncos. When Joe Flacco was with the Broncos, and even his last few years in Baltimore, I mean, statue was there for a reason. Earlier, earlier Joe Flacco, he maneuvered the pocket pretty well. He just wasn't um, he, he wasn't the most mobile of quarterbacks. And at that time, you can get away with it because at that time, that era of football was fitting of that. Nowadays, not so much. No. Nowadays, you got to have at least some mobility to extend plays, keep your eyes downfield, and potentially make defenders miss and make something happen. It's just the way the NFL keeps evolving. And if you can't do that, then you got to have everything perfect around you. And that's an issue that we've had with the Broncos for years, is that everything's had to be perfect to carry the carry the quarterback. And I think that it's time that they go away from that mindset and start going towards well, I mean, we need the quarterback. Like, everything else is fine. It's just the quarterback. Go get one. Yeah. Black Knight, Jeremy, jumping in here on Twitch. Uh, what's the concern with the Minnesota offensive tackle, Daniel Fa'alele? I remember Eric saying something about not being a fit. Um, now, Fa'alele is an interesting specimen of a human being because he's 6'8", 380 pounds, um, built like a brick you-know-what house, uh, strong as a bull, and for a guy that big, he actually moves pretty well. However, if you're wanting to get him to extend outside of the outside of the tackle box, running downfield, um, specifically in outside zone concepts, that's where he's not a fit. He can work within a power gap scheme. He can get to the second level pretty well, but he's not a guy that has the lateral mobility that works well enough in a scheme like what the Broncos want to run. Eric, what do you think about Daniel Fatalele? I mean, it's basically what you said. Getting him on the outside, I question his lateral agility to get outside, maintain outside, and be that kind of lead blocker that you're kind of looking for. I have concerns about him with dropping his head when he's climbing to the second level, missing landmarks. All are big things that are coachable if you're going to an outside zone scheme. And it's just, you you want to see better of him. I'm a huge fan of Daniel Fa'alele. Yeah. Those of you who were here last year, before he decided to return to Minnesota, you guys would know that. I hyped up Daniel Fa'alele a lot last year, and I'm still a big fan of him. I wish that he came out last year, and I wish Denver drafted him because, oh boy, like I would have been super excited. Not so much this year, just because schemes change. And while he has these other traits that you're looking for, it's just, can you can can you make him work? Can you make him fit with doing what you want to do? I don't really see it with Daniel Fa'alele, as I said, but there's plenty of teams out there that are going to love him because he can come in and just be a day one starter, really. I mean, there's some technical aspects you want to clean up, footwork issues you want to clean up, but I mean, guy that big, that strong, like, it's hard not to love him. It really is, and I want to express this point specifically. For a guy his size, he is an incredible athlete. Like, he moves incredibly well like like i said what six eight three eighty or something like whatever the hell it was that he measured in at the the senior bowl a couple weeks ago 
that guy can move. Like you don't expect a guy with his size to be able to move. It's similar to, to, to like Jordan Davis, uh, the uh, interior defensive lineman from Georgia. Like you don't expect a guy that big to be able to move in the ways that he does, but it still doesn't work. Like you have to understand moving for a, a, a moving for a, a guy that size is one thing. Being able to fit into a scheme that asks you to do something that you at that size and at that athletic profile are not able to do is a completely different conversation. And, and while I'm with Eric on this, I love Daniel Falele, especially as a pass it's, protector, because he does get really good depth in his pass sets. There's just not enough there as far as the running game goes that leads me to believe that he's going to be a viable option for a, a scheme, specifically this scheme where you ask your offensive tackles to move laterally in that way and then be able to pick guys off out on the outside. Like It, it just doesn't necessarily work for me. It's vertical movement versus lateral movement. Yes, yes, 100%. Uh, and Scott coming in here, uh, he was uh, 6'8 and 1 eighth of an inch and 387 pounds at the uh, at the Senior Bowl, which is, again, a massive human being. Uh, Andrew jumping in here, Andrew Baker. Have a great weekend, y'all. Love for the hashtag DVDD gang and love for you as well, Andrew. Hope the family is doing well. It was uh, great to see you and the kids at the Mile High Huddle Meetup. So, again, thank you for all of your guys' support. Uh, let's see here. What do we got? Not uh, Peter jumping in here. Uh, the Broncos surprise everyone by choosing a wide receiver or a tight end in the second or third round. Who is it and why? Oh man, this is a good one. Um, if, if they're going tight end, um, I, I, I don't necessarily see him going for, for a wide receiver unless they trade Jerry Judy. And even then with the, with the rise of KJ Hamler, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a, a, an option for the second or third round. However, if they, if they used um, Noah Fant as the, the trade piece to go and get like an Aaron Rodgers, I could see Trey McBride or um, Jay, uh, the, the Wiedermeyer kid. It, what's, what's his name? Jalen Wiedermeyer. Wiedermeyer. Yep. yep. Uh, I, I could see him. He, he moves well enough. Um, Jeremy Rucker potentially, but those guys uh, like Trey McBride would be the guy that you're looking at as a, as a tight end in the second round. Um, Jalen Wittemeyer, uh, third, fourth round, maybe, um, Jake Ferguson, fourth, fifth round potentially, but, uh, Eric, what do you think? Tight end wide receiver, second round for the Broncos. I mean, it, it's kind of, as you said, it's depends on what happens with Jerry Judy. If they go get one of those veteran quarterbacks and he's a trade piece for it. Um, with KJ Hamler's injury, that's still being up in the air, not being sure how long he's going to miss. Um, there's definitely options for wide receiver. This is a good receiver class. It is. Um, to touch on. I mean, a bunch of different skill sets. Um, I, I, I like some guys later on for Denver that can fill certain roles. Um, Bellis Jones Jr. out of Tennessee, big fan of his. Yep. Uh, returner option, good speed, one of the fastest guys at the Senior Bowl. Um, and uh, so I like him. I'm just... A surprise guy, I think if they go get a surprise guy, it'll probably be at tight end. Then it'll probably be somebody who can go and be a somewhat capable blocker, looking at someone like Jeremy Ruckert, maybe Trey McBride, the local kid, mm-hmm. um, maybe something along those lines, even if they keep Noah Fant, because Noah Fant and Albert Oakway have been on, like, getting a blocker behind them, like, you're just completing your, your room. And Nathaniel Hackett's spoken about it quite a bit, is that if they have to, they'll use a lot more 12 personnel. So getting that extra tight end, that blocking tight end could be pretty big for them. So another name that I, I'm looking at the, the guys that are at the combine, and obviously you said Vilas Jones from Tennessee. Uh, I've seen a lot of love from him. Um, 
from the uh, director of the senior bowl. And for some reason, his name escapes me right now. Uh, but Vilas Jones Jr., potentially second or third round talent. Apparently, there's a lot of guys that fell in love with him in his interview process at the senior bowl. He actually tore up the senior bowl in terms of route running, showed his speed, obviously the versatility as far as the special teams capability is a big thing. So that's a guy to watch out for. I want to run a hypothetical, though, by you one time. Um I'm not exactly sure where you would take him because he's coming off of a torn ACL. I believe he, he suffered it right before um, the uh, the college football playoffs. But if you're going to get rid of a guy like a Jerry Judy, what do you think about replacing him with his former Alabama teammate, John Mechie, in the second or third round? Is that potentially a possibility? I mean, that's it. That's a complimentary skill set to uh, to uh, Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. Like Mechie, Mechie fits. Depends on the medicals. Like that's going to be depending on where he is at some point. I mean, at some point he becomes a risk. As Scott put in the chat with Daniel Falele, third or fourth round pick, taking the concerns with the size a little bit in the movement, like that's worth the risk for it. Taking concerns, a uh, player with medical concerns at some point becomes a comes worth the risk. And with Mechie, I mean, you're looking at the third, what third or fourth round? Is that what you said, or second or third? Uh, tail end of the second round, third round, somewhere around in there. I mean, somewhere on there. I mean, yeah, it's look. You're looking at being worth the risk if he doesn't clear the medical stuff of it. Um, I, I mean, just with how he can, what he can do, how long is he going to miss? It's just, it just depends. Like, so, not ideal, but it's possible. What about another guy? Um, going back to the Caleb Ellaby conversation, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, a guy that Caleb Ellaby really targeted a lot um, at Western Michigan. Um, Complimentary skill set, slot receiver, shifty kind of guy, good yards after the catchability, um, better strength than I actually thought. Um, is that is that a, a potential possibility? Third, fourth round, third or fourth for? I mean, like, if well, I guess looking, I guess fourth. Looking fourth, at him, I mean, <laughs> you're looking at like late second, early third. It seems sounds okay. like um, huge fan. Um, the Jets wide receiver, rookie wide receiver from last year, Elijah Moore. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a huge fan of him. Sky Moore is very, very similar to that. Right, I love yeah. those types of receivers. Shifty route runners, surprising speed. That can, they're not like super fast, but they can take the top, top off the defense by catching the corner, sleeping, and running by them. Good burst route running. Like if you're trading Jer Jerry Judy and you're going with Tim Patrick and something on the outside, KJ Hamler being that speed element, like Sky Moore comes in and is a really good fit for what the Broncos want to do offensively, uh, which – by the way, the, you can go out and you can actually get an idea of what the Broncos are doing. There's a whole book on it. Very enlightening. And uh, some guys that are on the Broncos roster, like it makes it clear that maybe they won't be the best fits, even though they're being hyped to be good fits. But uh, just pointing it out there. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Sky Moore. I, I like him. I like what he could do, be that complimentary piece. And I mean, he's tough. Like he's not the best blocker, but he's going to give it his all, which is something that can't be said about a certain other Broncos wide receiver. Yeah, that's. That's very true. And in this scheme, blocking from wide receivers are extremely important. You have to block in the wide zone at the wide receiver position. You absolutely have to, guys. I cannot like express this enough. I mean, um, even going back before DT and Eric Decker, when they were running some some wide zone, even the inside zone stuff, like those guys were just maulers at the point of attack. Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, those guys doing work in the late 90s, early 2000s, obviously with the Super Bowl years with John Elway and Terrell Davis. 
outside zone, if you're going to run outside zone, your wide receivers have to be dogs in the blocking game. You have to get out there and get physical. And that was one of the things that separated Rod Smith from some of the guys in the NFL, even at that time was the fact that he would, he was not scared to go and knock some dude on his ass. I mean, Go back and look at the uh, Ed McCaffrey on the crackback block on, I believe, is a Howard Griffith uh, catch on the outside in Super Bowl 32, where he came cold cocked. I believe it was Eugene Robinson on the sideline and then pointed his finger in his face and said, no, not today. You're not going to touch him like the, like blocking in the outside zone scheme is 100 percent necessary and with sky Moore, yes i i do agree with you on that one that he is a, a damn good blocker for what he actually does possess so uh that's an interesting conversation there especially if like you said you know that one certain guy uh he happens to wear number 10 that doesn't like to wear uh doesn't like to necessarily block and put full effort in that particular aspect is not on this broncos roster uh don lewis jumping in here philadelphia checking in Philadelphia, that's Broncos country is not a geographical location. It is, in fact, the hashtag state of being. Uh, any interest in Gardner Mishu? He's accurate and very competitive. Um, that's a that's a that's a plan D, E, or F for me. Um, I, well, I can understand well, if you're going to miss on if you're going to miss on Rogers or Russell Wilson. I would rather run uh drew lock back with a rookie and if you need to bring in a veteran competition gardner Minshew is a guy that i would be willing to take a look at but again it's it's even below running drew lock out there as your starter and just like the last gasp hope of seeing what nathaniel hackett can do with him um Minshew is a, a a veteran competition piece yeah okay i'm i'm all right with that i mean Plan D seems to be running it back with Drew Locke, and I don't think Plan D with Drew Locke it has a rookie in the cards. Um, Minshew is probably part of Plan C, okay, which is this like lower mid-level veteran quarterback option with the rookie, um, and then maybe Drew Locke has QB three, maybe a competition for the backup job there. Um, but uh, I mean, he's an option. He's good thing is he checks out with the hand size, which is something that's reportedly been not or supposedly is big with uh george payton mm-hmm. looking at you can you pick it um yep. so i'm not sure there's going to be interest there but i mean i think uh, it's possible i think uh this is going to drive a lot of fans nuts but marcus mariota jamie's winston mitchell trubisky mm-hmm. if they don't land rogers or wilson those those are three vets i think to keep an eye on tyrod taylor is up there as well yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Travis Weber, Sutton and uh, 81 get dirty and block. And yes, they do, uh, especially Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick is a guy that I've actually highlighted multiple times in, in articles about his ability to go and dig out defenders. Um, I, I really do miss Deshaun Hamilton, even though they didn't use Deshaun Hamilton the way that they probably should have in the passing game. That dude was nasty when they'd motioned him in from the slot and bring him back and, and kind of compress the line of scrimmage a little bit and then have him go and dig out a linebacker or a safety and when when he did it, it was it was effective for sure. And there, there was a lot of big runs that sprang out from Philip Lindsay specifically that had Deshaun Hamilton as a lead block coming on a crack block. Like it was a lot of fun to watch him. Uh Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, as far as boundary guys, you can't get much better as far as like stock blocking, um, getting out and then like extending off the line of scrimmage, selling the selling the, that you're running a route, and then getting into a guy's chest plate and then block drive blocking them down the field. 
where you got to see that, it, like see specifically uh, blocking from your wide receivers slot and on the boundary, but specifically the, the slot, especially in a, uh, you're running wide zone from the far hash to the wide side of the field, to the field side of the, uh, of the, uh, of the field um, where the offensive line has the entire length of the field to move and get out. If you have a slot receiver, you have to have a guy that can engage and drive a guy and drive a cornerback and get him out of the play within a stock block on the outside to push guys up to the outside of the field. So if you do get extended outside of the offensive tackle, your running back has a way to get a, and create a lane to the outside. Uh, slot receiver blocking is huge and Sky Moore does a lot better of a job and I'm going to throw him under the bus again <clears throat> Jerry Judy as far as a blocker especially in the slot doesn't hold up like he's got to get way more physical in that aspect um, George Fox says thanks for a great pod guys DBFL hashtag MHH thank you George for tuning in we appreciate that we appreciate all of your guys support um, there's a interesting conversation here and I just want to grab it real quick um, since it deals with the quarterback options here Jay Roper um, I think Mitchell has some traits that you can get excited from. If it was Nagy, he asked earlier, is it Mitch was, is Mitchell that bad? Um, or was it Nagy? And it's funny because you could switch out two names here and it's a whole completely different conversation. This is true. Like there, there's so many want to blame everything was on Mitchell. None of it was Nagy, but certain switch out those two names and it was the other, it's the other way around. It was all the coaches. fault. You could also throw anyway. that conversation. You could also throw that conversation to the Denver Broncos as well. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. With, without saying the names, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Um, it's both. Yeah. There were so many issues with Mitchell Trubisky. He didn't progress as he should have. Jim Nagy, I mean, wasn't that good of a coach. We really saw his issues as a coach last year, consistently going away from his quarterback strengths. Like, it's both. And it's oftentimes that's the case. Maybe Brian Dabble and what was going on in Buffalo was able to help Mit, uh, Mitchell Trubisky a little bit. I doubt it. I, th I think he's going to get hyped up as being this potentially fixed quarterback, and we're all going to come find out that that's not really the case. Um, so that that's just how I see it there. It, it was both. Um, Travis Weber says, Judy might have moves and speed, but he needs to catch the ball. Maybe they can put Stickham on his hands like the movie The Replacements. Here's, a, here's another issue with Jerry Judy, and I can't remember what former wide receiver it was I was talking about. I was, I was watching a video with him on it. And he kept talking about TikTok routes. Yeah. These routes mm -hmm. that the these really fancy routes that are nice to watch just don't do anything in a game. They take too long, your quarterback doesn't have that time kind of time. That's Jerry Judy. Yeah. And, and nothing to hate him. I mean, he can run really clean and crisp routes that get him open quickly. We've seen it before, and he just doesn't get seen, gets missed. Happens a lot. But a lot of times, like He's especially one he's taken to Twitter. He's taken to TikTok. It's only super fancy routes that just have no place in it. Like, you just got to focus on improving certain areas of his game. Blocking the hands is a big one. Um, being a little bit more physical and just stop with the TikTok routes. Like, so they have no place in the game. You don't need to be practicing those types of routes. So the one thing, and I'm going to push back just a little bit, but not much. Um, the one thing that I will say with Jerry Judy's TikTok routes is a lot of the things that he's doing on those TikTok routes is working on his change of direction ability, which we already know is at the elite level, at, like elite in the NFL level, for sure. Like, it, like, honestly, if you put Jerry Judy against the top 10 best route runners in the NFL, he's definitely going to hold his own and he might knock somebody out of that conversation. 
the problem is how do you apply that? And like Eric said, how do you apply that on the field, make it work within the timing of the play itself, obviously get yourself open and then be able to concentrate on the football and then make the play and then do something with your TikTok route running after the catch and, and then create and extend the play in that aspect. It's a, I'm working on one thing, but I need to work on the other things to make both of them one singular whole aspect to my game. And I, I, I wrote an article. Uh, it was a film piece. Uh, it was shortly before the beginning of the season, I believe, um, about Jerry Judy and his drops. I went and broke down every single one of Jerry Judy's drops. And 75% of them were drops where he just lost concentration on the football. Like, you got to understand, the football is the first thing. Stop worrying about the next move you're going to make to make somebody look silly. Stop worrying about your TikTok routes. Catch the damn football first and then worry about what you're going to do after the fact there's there's a a finite detail of working on the skills that you do have perfecting them and then forgetting everything else to perfect those finite details as well and that's i think where jerry judy needs to mature in that aspect of playing football that will bring his game to that whole level of being a top like honestly he has a skill set to be a top 10 wide receiver in the nfl for sure like is there any debating that Eric, do you think? Like, does, no, like, but a lot of a lot of players have the potential to be one of the best at their position. Right, right. Just so many, just so many things for it, which also can be said about another Broncos player. Yes. Um, real quick, moving this conversation along, real quick. Somebody came in and asked about Drake London at wide receiver. Daryl mm. Washington, thank you for the question. Appreciate it. Um, I, I'm, I like Drake London. Don't love him. If he's a guy, you're going to get him, as Scott says in the chat as well. You're going to have to take him at nine. I don't think Denver takes a wide receiver in the first round. I don't. I doubt they'll take one in the second round as well. Um, but there's this big conversation with how to use him. And Ted Wynn of The Athletic has a great field piece up on him um, where basically you want to use Drake London out of the slot. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yep. I mean, that's what he does best. That's where he's going to be the most effective. He... he doesn't get great separation, but with his size and how, and he does a good job of getting out of his breaks pretty quickly, he can get instant separation. So a lot of real good timing can be super effective for it. And then you want to work with him on drops on his drops a little bit. He had, um, after he missed like four games this last season or something like that, he still like had more than twice as many drops as any other college receiver or something like that. It, it was insane how many drops he had um, before he got hurt. Big fan of him, but yeah, I don't see it. And then somebody's talking about Carson Wentz. Wentz's stats don't tell the whole story. Um, yeah, Wentz is awful. Wentz is bad. If Indianapolis wants to send Denver a high pick to take on that salary, I'm fine with it. But outside of that, no. I could see a Teddy Bridgewater level trade where we send a sixth or a seventh round pick and the the Colts pay. You can get what back. Salary. We don't have anything. They send it to Philly. Yeah, well, still, but uh, the, the Colts may have to sell. I want to. I want to jump back to to Drake London really fast. I like Drake London a lot. I think there's a, there's a skill set there. He's physical at the point of attack, it, like a good jump ball receiver, good deep threat. But man, that thin frame to me, if it, like like you said, you want him as a, a big slot guy. I want to see how he tests to see how how well he runs. But there's there's something there, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. To me, I, I, I see a taller Ashley Lilly. And, and if you like OG Broncos fans, the guys that like the, the, you know, the early 2000s, like 2005, 2006 with Jake Plummer, 
Ashley Lilly was that one trick pony, just straight deep threat and go. Drake London has a lot to work on in his route running. And I, I, I can see where, you know, you can work with him to get him open, but there's something to him that I, I'm not sure that I like him. I, I don't get this top 15 hype with him. I really don't like he's kind of one trick pony, unless you get the ball in his hands quickly. And he does a really good job breaking tackles after the catch. Like uh, uh, he missed what he only played eight, eight games last year it was top five in broken tackles after the catch in all of college football. Like th- there's a lot to work with there. But he's got to refine his ability as far as a route runner goes and, like, refine his ability as a receiver just, uh, like, creating separation because he just doesn't do it. Like, I, I don't know. It, I'm not sure exactly with Drake London, and I don't like him for the Broncos. I just really don't. I don't like him in the top 15. I'm not sure I'd take him in the top, top 32. Like, there's just so much refinement you have to work with him. Uh, yeah, Victor he, jumping Drake in. London, Go ahead. London played in eight games and had eight drops. Seven of them were in the first five games. Um, anyways, Victor Rios comes in and says, let's get Wilson, so underrated, and I just don't understand why he's not option A. Younger, most underrated, accurate off the run. And the league, in my opinion, he's my quarterback one. Um, he doesn't seem to be number one because he seems more likely to return at this point. And things seem to be trending for Aaron Rodgers to return. So looks like things will have to move on there. We'll still see what happens. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, Russell, just, it's just that just that aspect. He seems like he's going to be returning. I, I could see where he returns. I could also see where there's a, a complete and total breakup of that. Um, I didn't think that John Schneider and Pete Carroll were going to make it this far, quite honestly. I thought Russell Wilson of, of the three was going to be the guy that stayed. Um, I, I thought that Pete Carroll was definitely on the hot seat and that there was going to be a change of direction there. But something's got to give in Seattle. And if anyone does move, obviously at this point, it's going to be Russell Wilson. And he would be my first option. It, like, honestly, I don't get me wrong. I love the 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 enticing option that is, you know, Aaron Rodgers. But Russell Wilson, 33 years old, you've got five, six, seven years worth of good football out of him left, um, so long as he can stay healthy, which he's been able to do so far throughout his career, except for, you know, bashing his finger off of the helmet and, you know, dislocating his finger and getting mallet finger. Like, Russell Wilson was my number one option. I wanted to pair him with Dan Quinn. Um, but – you know, Nathaniel Hackett. And I, I still think that Russell Wilson would definitely be an option here. Um, the Broncos have, uh, they've already reached out to the Seahawks, by the way, to find potentially a cost. If there's a, you know, a, a amicability there to move on from Russell Wilson, if the Broncos were to be able to get him, then I would be behind that a hundred percent. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Russell Wilson would be my top quarterback choice with Aaron Rodgers a very close second. And real quick, Cole Hart come in. So it's going to stop bashing our brand new to the NFL stud wide receiver. Not really brand new. He's, I mean, two years down in the NFL. That has had trash, a trash barrage of quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree with you there. Log gets more excuses for sucking than our bona fide, but young stud wide receiver. Do we have to go watch the tape? Um, no one gets excuses. E- eventually, when you guys watch us, you realize that no one gets excuses for me. Yeah. If you're bad, you're bad. If you're good, you're good. If you make mistakes and you're good, you're still going to get called out for your mistakes. Uh, I. I got a point to add to this one here. Um, I was listening to uh, 104.3 The Fan, and you guys know the hot takery nonsense that comes out of those guys. If you listen to them, you know. However, this stat actually rings true here. Jerry Judy, even though he missed, what, six games this last season, caught zero touchdown passes with Teddy Bridgewater, who had a career year, and Drew Locke. Go back to, what, 2011, when you had Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker with Tim mother Tebow throwing him the football. Both of those guys caught four touchdown passes, okay? 
Like, if you're a good receiver, you're going to get the football and you're going to put it into the end zone. And Jerry Judy with a guy that has that had a career year and a guy that and every everyone saw in preseason, in training camp, Jerry Judy was the go-to guy. He couldn't find a way to put it in the end zone. Well, like there, there's an his, issue there. There's there's definitely an issue defense, there. In his defense this year, how many games did he miss? And then when he came back, it didn't help that 90% of his time he was on the field, it was running those stupid jet motion. Right, right. I saw him do nothing. In his defense. Yes. So I hear what you're, what you're saying with the lack of touchdowns. And I just I just think it's a bad argument to have for that reason. Right. I mean, there, the actual number was thrown out there. Like, it was seriously over 50% of his snaps had him doing that. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a lot of snaps. Right. And I, you're limiting what you're limiting a guy who's so good, um, who can do so many things uh before the catch and everything. And one of the issues was that yeah, he wasn't targeted often. We saw that a lot in 2020. Like you can go back and you can watch the tape and you can sit there and see how many times he was open that Locke just missed it, Jeff Driscoll missed it, even Brett Rippin missed it. Um, you can see that a lot, but it's just, just this thing of no excuses. You're in the NFL. Like, excuses? Yeah, that's it. Like, you're done with excuses when you get to the NFL. Either show you can belong, start developing quickly, or you're not going to last long, and that's just the way of life in it. And Jerry Judy's at that point of he needs to start showing it, showing these other issues that he has that he can work on them and he can develop them, or he in a couple of years he's going to be replaced, if not this year. If they trade for Aaron Rodgers – I firmly believe Jerry Judy will be part of that package. I do as well. There, there's enough upside there. And don't get me wrong. I, I did bring up it. Would, and it's a flawed argument for sure. But you have a, a guy that's delivering you the football like like a Teddy Bridgewater. or And like you said, you know, 50% of his snaps went on the jet sweep. You gotta get what, whatever. You got the football in your hands a couple of times, at least put the damn thing in the end zone. And t- Tim Tebow completed what uh, went in a game against the Kansas City Chiefs, we all know it, went two for eight for like 57 yards and a touchdown pass to Eric Decker. They found a way to get the ball into the damn end zone. And Jerry Judy, yes, I agree with you. They need to figure out a way to use him the right way. And what Pat, what Pat Shermer did with him was a complete and total travesty, 100%. But there is something there. Is something there. Jerry Judy does need to be better. He needs to show better effort. He needs to show more interest a, a I mean, lot of the time. There, like, there's one play where um, his route was so half-assed, I'm convinced my grandmother, who's dead, would have done a better job on it. Like, he just did showed no effort on it. And it's things like that that's going to get you called out. And it's like that for every player. Like, even players that I like and I think are great, they'll get called out too for it. But, guys, yep. we're running a little long here. Um, might have a chance for one more question if you guys want to get it in real quick. I, I do want to ask you a specific question here, and it's going to be going back to the offensive line conversation, um, specifically to the combine as well. If there was one offensive lineman that could potentially do it, it I guess you could do it as a interior offensive lineman or offensive tackles. Uh, if there was one offensive line prospect at the combine that could help himself the most at the combine this week, who is it and why? I mean, that's tough. Um, it's a, a way open-ended question. I understand that. I, yeah, I mean, there's like 75 offensive linemen out there, and all of, the, all of them can help themselves in different ways. Um, 
I'd go, say the one go, that should probably help himself the most is probably Braxton Jones. I think he's got the there biggest you go. chance to build upon a strong senior bowl, go out and interview well, and show um, technique, athleticism, all those stuff like that. I think he could roll himself into the second round. Um, Scott Daniel Falele was another one I was thinking of. Goes out and kills the shuttle, and, and uh, the cones, he can go from being second, third to top 15. I, I doubt it happens, as you said, but yeah, I mean, he can. I mean, I think he could cement himself as a second-round pick, even if he shows up well with the, with the 10-yard split without even the agility drills. Like, the 10-yard split could cement himself as an early pick. Um, so there's there's quite a few guys. Um, Black Knight says Trevor Penning. I think Trevor Penning has kind of cemented himself as a first-round pick at, the, at this time after the Senior yeah. Bowl and everything. Um, I don't think that there's much he can do to really raise it. Um, so. So there's two here and they're both for sure first round picks, but I think that they could both cement themselves within the top 15. Um, Tyler Linderbaum, the center out of Iowa. I think that, uh, with, with his size constraints, um, and obviously the scheme limit, the limitations that he has specifically to like why, uh, to more zone running at, there's there's a there's a concern with him with shorter arms. Let's see him throw up 35 reps and show that he actually has the strength to work in some power. Um, and he, he 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 even came out and said, I think he like bold face straight up told Lance Zierlein, I'm six two and two ninety. Like so, if you can come out, gain five ten pounds, get over the three hundred mark, and still move the way that he does, that is a big boost to me and could potentially put him inside the top fifteen. And the other one is Charles Cross. Um, the athleticism that you see on tape, does it actually match up as far as the test, the testing is concerned? You see him move around and he, he can get to the second level well, but he doesn't really, you know, latch on and drive. Does the, the tape actually line up? Is he, you know, just getting out in front of no one for no reason, or does it actually line up with what you're seeing? Um, does he actually have the athleticism to move that way? What does his, his footwork look like? You know, if they're going to ask him to do these lateral agility drills, which it seems like he has the athleticism to move forward and backwards, but he doesn't have the lateral agility. Like you want to see from a, a guy that you're going to take potentially within the top 10 Charles cross is an interesting case study for me. One issue with what you said, and it deals with Linderbaum talking about strength on the press, the bench press. Man, the bench press is nothing but show. It is. It is. Uh, it's going to bench in 225 pounds is nothing compared to going out there and showing you can move 300, 300 plus pound defensive lineman. Um, I think Tyler Linderbaum, I think he's a first round pick, maybe early second, just because of positional value. He's kind of limited right. to it. Um, plenty of teams are going to need, need a center. Denver's one. I'm Lloyd Cushenberry, not a fan. Said that multiple times. I just don't think there's anything that he can do to help himself because of positional value. Right. Charles Cross is one that he's another one where I fully expect him to go out there and test off the charts athletically, do extremely well with the the agility testing, with all the testing. Don't expect him to have a good um, bench press, but if he doesn't, or if he does, taking it with a grain of salt. But I think of all the offensive linemen there, I think Charlie Cross has the most to lose. Yes. Because if he doesn't match up athletically with what you see on tape, there's going to be a lot of concerns there. Yes, there is. 
Yes, there is. All right, guys, with that, we're going to get out of here. You all uh, stay safe and take care. I've run through all of the, the matters of business and stuff like that, but we're running a little bit long. Got to get out of here. You guys stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. We will see you guys same time, same place next week as we break down what's going on at the 2022 NFL Combine. We will see you guys later. Thanks. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.